All right. Welcome back to the Willy Wonka podcast. This is our third episode now, right? I think I can do some quick math. Yeah. We've done the intro. Mm-hmm. We did about 20 minutes into the movie which for took, episode two, which took an hour and 20 minutes. This good timing. And yeah. this would, in fact, make episode three. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, excited. I'm my name. My name's Eric, by the way. And I'm Ryan. And we are the hosts. Uh, we kind of already gone over that we are co-hosts and not. There's no lead host, so we don't need to. We don't need to cover this again. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Um, we've talked about <laughs> the analogy with the controllers from playing, you know, Super yeah. Nintendo back at your friend's house. We are back at Eric's house, so we, we are just. And there's no, no particular reason for it, but just. It, that's how it's working out. So. Well, let's be honest. One of the reasons is because I have kids, and they're not like 15 where I can tell them to like stay in your room. Yeah, I can say stay in your room, but they're going to come right out and they're going to interrupt us and oh yeah, cause a huge ruckus. Just like the opening scene of Willy Wonka, where those kids just ran into the candy store. Yeah, my kids are like three and one, so that's why we're back at Eric's house uninterrupted. Yeah. They, I mean, they they really dominate that that candy store. Some people say it was instruction. Some people say it was a dust up <laughs> of the candy store, but. <laughs> Um, but kind of, kind of get back on track here of um, where we were. Just looking at my notes, kind of give you an idea if, if you know, you listened to the last two, and it's been a minute since you listened. So, um, look at my notes. So now, uh, so Daniel Hillard is at the restaurant, and he has to go between Mrs. Doubt. Oh no, Daniel Hillard. That's um, these are my notes from another, not another podcast. No. I'm not doing. Are you doing a side hustle podcast on your side hustle podcast where you make no money? No, nope. I'm not doing a different podcast on Mrs. Doubtfire. Are you? Are you <laughs> podcast cheating on me right now? And definitely not with another Ryan from work. There's no way that I'm doing. <laughs> Get the hell out of here! <laughs> There's no way that I'm. Which doing... other Ryan? It doesn't matter. Oh. It does. It doesn't matter. Right? I'm not talking. We're not. This is not a Mrs. Doubtfire podcast. This is the Willie. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire's his other podcast. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Okay, guys. Let's <laughs> look so, before we get back into the movie. Yeah. I just want to say um, a couple of corrections from last time that have just been blowing up on the Twitter comments, just being berated. Massive I mean, beration. Twitter is such a toxic place. Awful. Which is why we created the Twitter account for this podcast. Yeah. But um, I I did in fact say that the Titanic sank in 1911. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. When did it sink? It sank in 1912. So I was a year off. Yeah. Well, but it was still pre-World War One. It is barely pre-World War One. You know? Yes. This, I mean, things are still getting hot in Europe. You know, all these things leading up to it. You know, the powder keg, that's what they called it. This is, guys, this is not a World War One podcast, and we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're not going to talk about the assassination of the Archduke Franz, Franz Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Yeah. I think the second. Did you say Franz or Franz? I think I said Franz. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so picking up where we left off, um, Charlie just got home, or he's walking home from his mother's laundromat, and we are about to learn about our next contest winner, who happens to be one Mike TV. Mr. Mike TV. And spelled, by the way, Right. T-E-E-V-E-E. All right. Just so everyone knows. It is T-E-E-V-E-E. Okay. And so that scene ends with Charlie. Now we open into the next scene where we, it shows a TV 
and it's, there's a, it's a Western going on. We have a news reporter talking about, hey, we just found our next contestant winner in Marble Falls, Falls <clears throat> Arizona. All right? And his name is Mike TV. So Mike TV is getting interviewed, right, by the by the news anchor. And he's like, do you want to turn this off? No, what are you, crazy? Like, he's obsessed with this stuff, you know? Um, I'm sensing a theme here from all of the children that we've seen so far. They all, you know, they're not your model citizen children. You know, they're not who necessarily you think they have a lot of hope uh, growing up because they all have some major flaws. Augustus Gloop, mm-hmm. you know, little little portly and out of shape, right? Would you yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you had Violet Beauregard, mm-hmm. who chewed gum all the time, yep. wanted all of the attention on her. I think I skipped. I skipped. Um, you skipped Veruca. Uh, Ver- Veruca, right? But Veruca, she wouldn't be brat. happy that you. She wouldn't be happy. That she you would not be her. happy. No, I, yeah, she would want me to work she's nights. A, yeah. She's the second contestant winner. Let's exactly. make that clear. So Veruca was extremely spoiled. Um, got everything that that she wanted, and then you had Violet Beauregard, who was trying to set a record for chewing gum, and she wanted the spotlight on her all the time. We also glanced over um, a small little tidbit, which was that her mom. Violet's mom had one line where she said, Violet, and she said, cool it, mother. Yeah, that's so Violet's mother does exist for everyone out there who's, like, wondering. You know, she she's there. Well, I also wanted to say this. Uh, Violet's dad's name is Sam Beauregard. I believe her mother's name is Samantha. Um, mm. So much like Henry, Henrietta, yeah. Sam, Samantha. Um, and then you have Mike TV. Right and Mike TV's parents, which I don't think we learned their names. I I don't think we do either. Um, uh, at least not in the movie. Is it, it just says Mrs. TV on here. But I will say that this kid's flaw is he's obsessed with television, and yes. he won't take his. He's literally on the news. He's being interviewed for winning the fourth golden ticket. Yet he mm-hmm. can't keep his eyes off the TV. And what's so, and what's so bad about this, or is that the mother, who will learn a lot? It's she has this weird. She has some weird senses of pride in some things, right? Uh, we'll learn more about that later, but she's talking to the news reporter about how he's obsessed with TV, and she brags, like, oh, he's never even been to the table. We serve him all his dinners from here. Like, that's a bragging point. Oh, and by the way, one of the reporters that has the mic, who's, like, very uh, jovially uh, and gesturing the mic back and <laughs> forth, like, with his hand in a very comedic way. It's all um, about the flick of the wrist. Yeah. With this microphone here. And so he's doing that and going back and forth and talking about how you like the killings. What do you think life's all about? And he takes out his plastic gun and shoots at the TV. And he says, wait till I get a real one, a Colt 45. But his dad won't let him. Right, Pop? He says, not till you're 12, son. Not till you're 12, son. And then, so then the reporter, <laughs> the same octagonal wearing scar-faced dude, now is whispering into his ear. The same, the same one that we saw speak to all of the other ticket winners. The very same. So now that, that scene's over, right? And we are going to be moving on to our next scene. Which, well, hang on. Yeah. Can we talk about this gun culture thing? What is it to talk about? <laughs> Not till you're 12? That seems like... I mean, I, I think the dad's being a little strict, right? Is that... A, <laughs> I mean, it is America... Yeah, I, I guess we have the freedom to, we have the God-given right to just own own guns whenever we want. Yeah, I I believe so. And um, do you think there's something more to is, that? Oh, I don't know. Is that a normal thing for kids to get guns when they're 12? When did you get your first gun? 
I got a Super Soaker 100 mm-hmm. when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. There you go. Followed by, by the way, I did not get the Super Soaker 200, uh, which I believe had like the jet pack on the back. Yeah. Or maybe that was the 300, but I had one that was called Ice Shots, where it had a bigger container where you could unscrew the lid and put ice mm-hmm. into the like water reservoir. So sounds you could, great. Yeah, so you could basically squirt like freezing cold water at people. Which sounds great, you know, in the in the summer when it's you know blazing hot out. It, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was my first real gun. Yes, I was probably around Mike TV's age when he was almost twelve. By the way, I just had this light bulb go off. He's twelve. His, his dad said not until you're twelve, which means he's not quite twelve yet. No. So he's probably around ten or eleven. Would be my guess. Yeah. Or nine. And all of these kids are about the same age. Yeah. So remember, we're talking earlier about is Charlie in middle school? Is he in elementary school? Mm-hmm. Well, we're looking right on that edge, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, we are, I guess that's right. I mean, we were assuming a lot, but I think you're right that these kids are definitely, all, all of them are under 12. Yeah. Um, is that all we want to talk about with gun culture? Or Yeah, we don't need to get too much more into that, I don't think. This is not a gun culture podcast. It's not, and it won't be. Okay, no. <laughs> I thought about it. We, we could do a quick change over to gun culture, but... It could be Eric's second side hustle podcast, aside from this one. This, no. You just got to find somebody else to host it with you, because it's probably not going to be me. No, this, is, this is my only podcast. Okay. No right. doubt about it. Okay. All right, All right. so we go to the newsroom, right, where the, we have the news anchor talking about that. And four down, one to go. And this is a pretty, um, it's a pretty funny scene. He's just talking about how it's one of the most sought-off prizes in history, right? And um, it kind of ends with a, a pretty funny line. It's like, though we can't help envy him, whoever he is, and blah, blah, blah. Must not feel bitter in his losing. By the way, always saying he and him. You know, a little patriarchy there. But um, he talked about how he must remember that much more important things, many more important things in life. Offhand, I can't think of what they are right now. But be- because I'm sure there must be something. <laughs> yeah, because the most important thing to everybody in the world right now is this contest of finding the five golden tickets. Yeah. Everyone. Everybody in the world, right? And he says there must be something then now oh, for tomorrow's weather. And then that's hard cut psh, done. So here is a really um here's an important scene. So now that scene's over and now we are back at the Buckets house or shack. Okay? And it's, uh, everyone's asleep except Charlie and, and the Grandpa Joe, and they're and they're talking, right? Or he says, "Hey, Charlie, why'd you wake?" Charlie asks Grandpa Joe, "Hey, why'd you wake me up?" Right? And he breaks out a Wonka bar. With and now, Charlie's like, "Hey, what are you doing? I gave you that money for tobacco, so he he did take that money." Yeah. So so the money that Charlie had brought home, where they had the real banquet with the loaf of bread, oh, right? Yeah. There was that there was that extra little bit of money and he said, Grandpa, this is for your tobacco. And he said, I can't take it when a loaf of bread looks like a banquet. Yeah. But but he did in fact take the money. And now we know in this scene, which by the way, as an adult, uh, going back and watching this movie, especially an adult with children now, uh, I look at this scene as one of the more like emotional scenes in the movie. Yeah. Th- this scene actually brought me to tears for those of you with, with kids. Um, and we'll get to the line in a second. But uh, Grandpa Joe did, in fact, take that t- 
uh, money that was for his tobacco, mm-hmm. and he bought Charlie a Wonka bar. And it was it's not the moon pie version or the scrum no. diddly umptious bar. It's the standard Hershey's looking Wonka bar. Wonka bar. It's yeah. This is a this really is a great scene. Um, quick note: I don't know how he got it uh, if he's bedridden, but you know, I guess the mo- the mother consented. Hey, I'm I guess I'll buy you this chocolate bar. Why does it matter where he's got it? The point is, he's got, he's got it. it. Yeah, that's you know what. <laughs> okay, you know what. <laughs> Asked and answered. All right. So he told me he he told him that he gave up the gave up the tobacco, and now he wants him to op- open it. And they're kind of going back and forth about who should open it, all that stuff. So now, you know, they're getting ready to open it, and they're looking inside. Talk about which end they should open up first. Yeah, like they're really analyzing this thing. Yeah. I mean, this is hope again. Charlie just went through this whole thing about not having any hope, and he told his mom, he's like, like you know, just in case that you, that, that you are wondering, it's not going to be me, whoever wins this. Well, now Grandpa Joe just brings this extra Wonka bar back into it, so now there's just a little glimmer of hope again for Charlie. Yeah. So now they're going back and forth, and they eventually come to the conclusion that they'll do it at the same time. All right, so they're, going to, they're getting ready to do it. Actually, I think, no, he just does it himself. And they open it, and there's, of course, no golden ticket. And then Charlie says, Charlie looks up at Grandpa Joe and says, He says, I bet those golden tickets make the chocolate taste terrible. Which is just like... And it is just a heartbreaking scene of this little kid who has all these hopes, and his grandpa just wants to make him happy because he's the light of his life. And he tries to find a silver lining in his sadness, which is... You know, there's this contest out there with these golden tickets, and I want one more than anything that I've ever wanted, and I'm not going to get it. And his silver lining is, but you know, those golden tickets probably make that chocolate taste terrible. I mean, just heart heartbreaking. And what about and what a an emotionally mature and just generally mature thing to to say as a young child, like to see that, like, well, you know. And to look at and the and the like I said, silver line to spin it like that, like ah, I bet it makes it taste, taste, taste terrible, like unbelievable. And then you know they hug each other. It's just a really, it, it's a good scene. You know, it's a great scene. And I do want to also point this out about a lot of movies too. I have always found that movies with kids in them, the kids can be a lot more emotionally mature, intelligent than yeah. actual kids of that age, of whatever age that they're like yeah. acting as. You know. Because you, know, you have you have writers like writing these lines for kids. Like I wonder what I would say as a kid. Yeah, I'd probably say that. You know, yeah. like and you may get kids out there that say some pretty like profound things. Yeah, um, it happens. Mm-hmm. But in movies, it's like overwhelmingly like you know, okay, my seven year old does not act like this. Yeah, does not actually. Speak. It's definitely British, right? The guy, super British, right? Talk about lot whatever, <laughs> and he's talking about how. He can personally guarantee that this is the last case of Wonka bars left in the United Kingdom. And it continues to show the importance across the world of this contest and how yeah. many people are involved with it and how many people think that it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of their freaking lives. Um, yeah. It's, and this room is definitely filled with, with people of, of means, people of wealth. They're dressed, they're dressed nice for this auction, right? And he starts this case of chocolate at... Fifty thousand. I'm oh, sorry, fifty hundred pounds. Yeah, no. fifteen hundred pounds. It says fifteen. I think it's supposed to be fifty. Well, he starts with a thousand pounds, and then he moves on to fifteen hundred, which yeah. is which is one thousand five hundred. Yeah, right? yeah. And then here's one thousand pounds. Quick math. Yeah. 
Yep. No, he won't have to, uh, 1,500 pounds. So, yes. Yeah, so he starts with that. 2,000 pounds, right? And, He's, and like, as we're going through this auction, uh, as a kid, it might be the first time, as we've yep. talked about, that you may have seen an auction on television or anywhere, and you just see these people, like, scratching their nose or scratching their, their ear or... And all of yeah. a sudden they bidded, you know, like, well, one guy just like kind of rubs his nose and now he's made a bid for 2000 pounds. So what if somebody during one of these auctions actually has a scratch on their nose or has to, has to scratch yeah. their nose? That's, that's, that, you the, don't do it. Man. <laughs> I feel like I, I don't want, okay. I don't want to say that we're trotting to new territory. I feel like I have seen this like done in like a sitcom that like they go to auction and like someone like just like tugs their ear a little bit and like, oh. $2,000 I think gentleman. it's Seinfeld bro yeah I think there's a Seinfeld episode I can't think of it off the top of my head but I feel like that's very Kramer or George-esque well there was that one episode specifically when Elaine had to go bid on those set of golf clubs from JFK ah and she was trying to beat out who was it like her long time not nemesis but her like she went to school with the one who didn't wear a bra the heir was it the heir to the heir O'Hen- to the O'Henry candy bar throne. Yeah. Um, Sue Ellen Mischke. Sue Ellen Mischke, the heir to the guys. Listen, this is not a Seinfeld. This podcast. is not. This is this is not as much as everybody wants it to be. Is not a Seinfeld podcast. Maybe okay? we should start a Seinfeld podcast. You know what? Signing There's, off. No more Willy Wonka. We're just gonna that's talk it, guys. About All right, let's get the let's get that Seinfeld intro going. All right, no, but uh, <laughs> there has there has to be a Seinfeld podcast. There has to be. There has to be. There's no. There's no way there isn't. Well, we can figure that out later. But yeah. right now, we're talking about British auctions for these Wonka bars, yes. which is guaranteed to be the last case in England. And this and this auction is going hot. Like people are bidding left and right, and it says five thousand five thousand pounds. Right, that's lots of, that's a lot of money. We're talking. I'm not sure back then, but usually the, the pound equivalent to a dollar is almost like three to one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a lot of money. Um, this yeah, and then it ends with he says five thousand pounds. And it goes, he sees, he says, your majesty, assuming that it's the queen of England who went there <laughs> to bid on a box of chocolate. Your, yeah, your majesty. Yeah, yeah, and he stops the auction to just, your majesty. Yeah. And he has, by the way, like serious either, if you want to call them cyburns or mutton chops, but they are, they are no joke. And that ends that scene at your majesty. And then we go into what might be my <laughs> favorite scene in this whole fucking movie. This, <laughs> this is I'm I'm cracking up just thinking about this scene of what we're about to talk about next. Out of the quack scenes as I call them. Yep. I need a sound effect by the way. I would like there to be mm-hmm. a duck quacking every time that I mention a quack scene. But um Some light sound effect. I think we I think we can Work with that. I'll, we can find it in there. But the, uh, Eddie, the engineer, is saying that we might be able to do that. Might we might have to pay a certain amount of money per quack, but we'll we'll figure it out. To the engineer, I think to big to big duck. We might owe money. To, <laughs> you know, big duck out there wants this money. All right. Okay, so this scene coming up here is a wife, right? Mm-hmm. Who is being asked by the authorities, by the police. So this scene is it's where. We are assuming this is in her home, and there's a, there's a detective, right? So the scene is at the Curtis home, and the detective starts, I'm sorry, Mrs. Curtis, doesn't seem like there's anything in his papers to give us a clue, you know? And she's like, they've kidnapped my husband 12 hours ago. 
when are we going to hear from them? What do they want? You know? And he's like, oh, I'll try to stay calm, all that stuff. And I'll give him anything. I'll give him anything to, as long as I want my Harold back. You know, she's so upset. And she clearly loves her husband, you know? These people have stolen her most loved possession in the world, yep. her husband, her better half. And he's being held for ransom. Yep. And the phone rings, right? And then there's a detective on the phone in the background, you see, who's, like, recording it, trying to record it or trace it. I think it's just recording. I don't think they had... Yeah, it looks like he's just recording. I'm not sure if they had tracing ability back then, which is a shame, you know. But anyway, anyway. so the detective picks up the phone, and he's like, yep, go ahead. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, we're listening. And then then (laughs) he puts the phone, like, to the side. I'm not even sure if he hangs it up. And she says, what do they want? I'll give them anything. You know, and he says, whatever they want, they can have it. The detective's like, they want your case of Wonka bars. There's a long, serious look. Whatever they want, they can have it. Yeah. And the detective looks at her. There's a long, serious look. They want your case of Wonka bars. Yeah. Like, and he's like looking like that's a very serious thing. And she is, she's sitting down. By the way, she she looks like she's of means. She lives in a very nice home. Absolutely. Probably has millions of dollars, or at least hundreds of thousands back then. At least. And. Instead of asking for this huge lump sum of money, these people that are holding her husband hostage, Harold, Harold. hostage, Harold they, Curtis is the name. They want her case of Wonka bars. And she's sitting down. So he says that, and then she stands up with this absolute look of concern or disgust, like, I can't believe it. Like, she is, she's maybe shocked is the word I'm looking for. Shocked is the word I'm looking for. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yep. Um, and she doesn't say anything. And she looks and she turns the other direction. And the detective's like, Mrs. Curtis, did you hear me? It's your husband's life or your case of Wonka bars. And this very, I don't know what accent. But it's like, he's like, it's your husband's life or your case of Wonka bars. I feel like it's like New York, Boston. It's something. Like, it's definitely Northeastern America, right? Yeah. It's like a gravelly voice there and... He's like, it's your husband's life. What are you, case of Wonka boss? And she says, to, she says to him, how long do they give me to, to think it over? So she, so she pauses. She turns. She has to think about it. Yes. She has to think about this long and hard. Yeah. She just said, whatever they want, they can have it. It's your husband's life or your case of Wonka bars. She turns. She has to think about it and says, how long will they give me to think it over? And you know what, I, so that's, I mean, that, that whole part's funny. But then we got to think that people went out, and they knew that they had a case of Wonka bars, and kidnapped somebody. So this is a group of people who knew they had Wonka bars, and kidnapped them too. So maybe they couldn't find the bars in her home or wherever? I don't she know. probably had it locked away in a safe or Why? a vault. Why haven't they opened them yet? What are they waiting for? Well, that's actually a great question. <laughs> you know, but. That's get, actually a great question. I've never thought about that. It's crazy, like, right? Why aren't they opened? It's and so they stole the husband. <laughs> but again, it's this whole world-building thing of like how serious, how serious this this contest is. Is that people are willing to kidnap somebody for a case of Wonka bars to get access for a possibility to win a lifetime supply of chocolate? I mean, so far we've seen kidnapping husbands. We've seen people talking to. A 1970s version of AI, Chat GB, yeah, ChatGPT, right? right? Yeah, we've seen uh, a therapist 
mm-hmm. who thought that his patient was an absolute moron, yeah. and all of a sudden, at the drop of a dime, took his words more serious than anything because he mentioned that in his dream, yeah. there was an archangel telling him where the Wonka bars were. I mean... It's crazy. It really is. It's really showing you how important in this world this competition is. So that scene, my favorite scene, just the whole drama, the whole drama of it all. And, and this, is a, this is a children's movie. This is a kid's movie. And there's a hostage scene of someone getting kidnapped. It's, I, and I don't think, like, I think I'll watch this as a kid. Like this, like those two scenes, kind of just you didn't understand what the just, gravity of that stuff like is, right over my head. No, because as a kid, you're just wanting to get to the to the chocolate factory. Yeah, you want to see the candy. Like, I, like I'm all of this is just as a kid, this is filler. Like, all right, this is whatever this scene. I don't know what's going on. These oh, scenes cop, are for the adults. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's that's one of the better parts about this movie is it's, it's pretty well done. You know, it's it really does appeal to a lot of audiences. Um, so now that scene ends. Quite quickly. So now we are at the newsroom. All right. Big deal. Okay. And it's, it's the same anchorman, Mr. Stanley Kale, spelled K, uh, Kilo Alpha Echo Lima for you NATO alphabet speakers out there. Um, and that's it. He said, this is all over. They finally found the, uh, the golden ticket, the fifth golden ticket, the last one. And he goes to a, their representatives or their other uh, news people in Paraguay. Right? This is the fifth and last golden ticket that this order, this Paraguay news anchor is reporting on, and it's a lucky multimillionaire owner of gambling casinos down there. And they have a recent picture of him. They don't really show him with the golden ticket. And now it cuts to the Bucket's house, and they're watching the news, uh, the news report. Again, on, the, on what one could presume is the world's smallest TV. It, it is definitely up there. Uh, it equates to a TV that I had as a, as a child. In our kitchen, it was one of the small little ones with, you know, one yeah. of the little dials. And um, but yeah, it's so we're back at the bucket house, right? So it transitions back to the back to the bucket home, and the four worthless grandparents are all just laying in bed watching the news, as well as Charlie's mom. Charlie is noticeably absent from yes. this scene. So now looking at the um, watching this as well, you know, we told you about it's muted, and we also have the uh, transcript here. Of the of it all, so Grandma Josephine does have a line. She has one more line besides "I did the end pieces of the tussles," and Grandma Georgina does have a line. And she says, "Who's going to tell him?" You know. So they're talking about it. She's like, "Turn it off," and Grandma Josephine says, "Oh, a whole lot of rubbish. The whole thing." That was probably Grandma Georgina's only line. Yeah, and I, and I'm pretty sure it's not even on screen, because who's going to tell him? Uh, Nope, I don't see it. By the way, can I also commend your... Oh, there uh, it is. Yeah. Oh, well, it's because... It's because they... Well, it's because they cut to Charlie in bed. Yeah. Who, who has actually overheard them, right? It's, because they live in a small home. Not only that, but like, it's... Um, she says it at... And she says that at, while the camera's looking at Grandpa Joe. And also the mom's kind of like interrupting her. But that's the whole thing. She says, Grandpa Joe is... What were you saying about commending? Oh, I was just going to compliment you on your um, on your impression of Grandma Josephine when she says "Thank you" <laughs> with um, the little tassels. My again, like, as mentioned previously, that my siblings and I have been <laughs> making fun of this movie for a while, and we really <laughs> nailed down the, the, the little tassels uh, part of that. So I think she'll appreciate uh, this part of this when she listens to it. So 
again, Grandma Josephine says a whole lot of rubbish the whole thing. And then Grandpa Joe says, you know, not that Charlie wasn't. The little boy's got to have something in this world to hope for. You know, what has he got to hope for now? That's it? Like Golden tickets or bust, bro. Like, li- lifetime supply of chocolate or nothing. Or, or nothing, or just yeah. a worthless life with, with no meaning. Again, like, it just speaks to this contest and how big of a deal that it is for people. Yeah. It's... <laughs> but but also let me just say this too they they say well let's not wake him mm-hmm. let's let him have one last dream right and right it, it kind of pans so it pans to charlie's bedroom yeah i mean charlie's oh. asleep wherever he's sleeping in the house wherever that's sh- the shack the corner yeah whatever and he has tears rolling down his face mm-hmm. because he can obviously hear what they're saying out there yeah but they say let's not wake him right because they think that he's asleep let him have one last dream like, um the which you know i mean there, there's a lot of false hope that this family gives or, or tries to give each mm-hmm. other right for when charlie said i got it when he had nothing yeah right um th- this this could be another one but i don't think that i'm waking up my my kid to tell him that you know the thing that he wanted most isn't it's happening over. anymore yeah. yeah and that's just kind of like it's a it's a pretty decent scene you see him crying like he really is he's genuinely upset like he's that's devastated yeah. you know um so now End of that scene. And we go back to the school in Mr. Turkentine's classroom. Now, uh, this particular scene is fantastic. Because <laughs> this probably delivers one of Mr. Turkentine's best whole lines. And it's just, and his whole purpose of this line is just for the audience. It's, it's a joke. It's, I think, definitely for the adults. Uh, so, so before we talk about this, this is, he might be on my... Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Mount Rushmore of favorite characters. <laughs> Mr. Turkentine is fantastic. He really is. He's fantastically hilarious. But we had mentioned in, I believe, our previous episode that this movie is full of caricatures. I've looked up the definition of caricature for those listening who might not know. I thought I asked you to not do that. Well, I got it here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I may have missed the memo. Yep. Um, so here we go, right? A, not a character, but a caricature. Yes is a picture, description, or imitation of a person in which certain striking characteristics are exaggerated in order to create a comic or grotesque effect. Correct. So basically, think of your own personality mm-hmm. and crank it up to 12 on a 1 to 10 scale. Yeah. That's a caricature. Just mm-hmm. over-the-top ridiculous. And Mr. Turkentine is the definition of a caricature. Yes. Extremely British. Extremely teacher-like. British. Extremely annoying. British. Yeah. Some people might say that you and I are playing characters of ourselves in this podcast, you know. Possibly. But possibly. For comedic effect. For the purposes of comedy. <laughs> so. I have no comment. I am who I am. <laughs> so. Quit making fun of me. I am going to. Um, I just want to read this line real quick of what he says. Or actually, why don't you do it? Is this one of your favorites, right? He well, is, yeah. Let's, what, let's read, read the. Because this whole line is just, it's so funny. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. He said, right, so they're all in, in class. They're mm-hmm. all writing. They're all, you know, completing some assignment or something. And Mr. Turkentine interrupts and says, I've just decided to switch our Friday, our Friday schedule to Monday, which means that the test we take each Friday on what we learned during the week will now take place on Monday before we've learned it. But since today is Tuesday, it doesn't matter in the slightest. Pencils ready. <laughs> It's just like, like there's there is no reason for this. There is 
this whole scene, this whatever he says is not in the book. It, but it's just like it also wouldn't matter to the kids who are sitting in the classroom. But this is just for the movie. I've decided to switch our Friday our Friday schedule to Monday. That's the second time you said Friday. I know Friday. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying that. Our Friday schedule to Monday, which means that the test we take each Friday on what we learned during the week will now take place on Monday before we've learned it. But since today is Tuesday, it doesn't matter in the slightest. <laughs> and it's also like he's sitting there and he and he just decided. Like it's all on his whim that there's no curriculum. It's like you know what, I'm going to change things up. I've just, just decided because you know what. Fuck it, and you know, fuck, fuck those kids. Like that, that's essentially what he's doing. Is pulling the MJ who said he said fuck those kids, right? Who said that? Mike, Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan said that. Didn't Michael Jordan say fuck those kids? Like in a documentary? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there was the Last Dance documentary where he said a lot of things, but I don't remember saying fuck those kids. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I could be wrong. Well, hey, I believe it. Yeah. LeBron's the goat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Greatest of all time. Yeah, I'm sure that won't stir up any comments in our very popular Twitter feed. So At podcast Wonka on Twitter. All right. So Cheap after that. <laughs> so then after that, he's like, all right. He's talking to everybody about he about percentages, right? He says we're going to learn about them, and he says let's take for instance this recent unpleasantness, right? Suppose there are a thousand Wonka bars in the world, and during the contest, each you open up a certain number. That's a percent, right? So then he starts calling on the kids, and he calls on Madeline Durkin, um, by the way. He asks, how many did you open? She says, about 100. Uh, in uh, what, what one could presume is an American accent. All of these kids in this class have an American accent because it's not British. They're speaking English. So it's, these kids are, all have American accents. Um, so he's like, there's ten hundreds and a thousand, so therefore it's one percent. Right? He's like, Peter Goff, how many did you open? He's like, hundred and fifty. In my best little boy voice, which isn't very hard for me to do. Um, Can we also talk about these numbers? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred and fifty Wonka bars. Over what period of time do we know? I don't know. That's a good it, question. Well, I can tell you, it's a pretty short period of time. Seems I mean, like. I mean, it. we're not talking months here weeks but regardless week. it's like i mean even if it is months 100 candy bars and these kids, 150 one of them says 200 don't they well you know what they are saying okay so madeline does says about 100 all right so she's kind of like she's rounding it off right and then peter's like 150 he counted oh i guess you know i think a little i think little kids would like would be tracking that like they have nothing else going on in their life they'd be like okay i've opened 75 of these like it's pretty specific i mean he he asks them right away and they have answers Mm-hmm. Like I know how many candy bars that I it's, open. Well, it's the most important if I, thing. If I opened 150 candy bars, I would not be keeping a tally at that point. I, no, I probably would have fallen off after about 65. I've definitely. <laughs> that's the number. I've 65. definitely eaten like a lot of like the fun sized like candy bars, like take fives that we brought on work journeys, and I didn't really question how many I opened. I just know that there's I, a I, big ass bag of take five bars. I got down to the last two. I'm like, oh. I've eaten this many take fives. Right. <laughs> like, like, where are where We've only been on this trip for this short period of time. Like, where, where do they go? Who ate all my take fives? Yeah. In my locked, secure place that I, only I have access to. <laughs> <laughs> so he calls on them, right? So Peter says 150. He's like, that's 10% half over a gain, which as a kid, an American child, you might not have any idea what half over a gain is because that's very British, right? As an adult, I don't think I know what half over a gain means. Well, it's 
it's half a gain over. A gain. So anyway, uh, that's t- <laughs> so that's ten percent, right? And one hundred fifty. And then he calls on Charlie Bucket, and he asks him, "How many did you open?" And he says two. And he assumes, Turkentine, that's two hundred, right? And he goes over and he's just like, "Oh, that's easy. Two hundred is twice one hundred over half over a gain." And, and then Charlie interrupts him, and he goes, "Not two hundred, just, just two. two. What do you mean, just two? You can't open just two. And, he's like, <laughs> and Charlie says I, he doesn't care for chocolate very much. So that's his whole thing. Like he, and he says that like kind of like to save himself. I don't want to say the embarrassment, but it's just like, you know, all these other kids have opened up a hundred, a hundred fifty, and he's only opened up two. He's like, well, it's because I don't care for chocolate, even though this is the most important thing." In his whole life, right? You know, but like, he, yeah, yeah, he just didn't. He just did not have the money for it, nor did his family. Yeah. But also, why couldn't Mister Turkentine just do the percentage on two? Well, he, that's the whole thing. I just can't figure out two. It's like a fraction of a percent, right? At that yeah. point. But I mean, what are we like? Can you not teach fractions and percents at the same time? He can't teach long division. He can't figure out what two out of a thousand is. Yeah. You know, well, like we here at the Willy Wonka podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, us and our engineers and our yeah. sponsors um, alike, we can figure this out, but he can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can. We said we can. We're, we don't have to. And we're going to, you know, move on. I mean, do, do you want to figure it out? What I was going to say was, <laughs> since he, he pretty much dismisses whatever Charlie said when he said that he has only opened two. So he said, let's say you've opened up 200, mm-hmm. right? So he yeah. just goes to the simple math, easy math. Granted, these are kids that we've now established are probably... Under 12. Under 12 or in that range. So maybe he's not going to go quite to the calculus mm-hmm. or difficult math side of the house, right? So I'm pretty, yeah, I mean, to be an uh, elementary school teacher, you don't have to have a degree in mathematics. You just have to be able to teach you know, basic, basic math. So, yeah. you know, well, this is not a... Guys, I, this is not a teaching podcast. Okay, so, all right. He goes over that, then it kind of cuts to now. That's the end of that, and he's he figure, he's figuring out how much that is, and it just kind of cuts there. And now we are seeing Charlie walk on the streets by himself, head down. Yeah, bunch of cars out there, hands Mer- in pockets, Mercedes, you know, a bunch of older cars, just looking defeated. Yeah, definitely sixties and seventies cars, no doubt about it, right? You know, and he's looking down, and he sees something in there. I remember like looking at this as a kid. I'm like that doesn't look like a, a normal. I thought I thought the same thing. Yeah. So Charlie finds some money in the street. It, it's um it's in like a gutter, right? It's in a gutter, and and looking at it again, it, it's looking pretty big in his hand, right? It looked like it was a piece of tin foil or something. It did look. It looked like a piece of tin foil, but it's like definitely like it again. It's like it's non-specific currency. It's definitely not American currency. No, because it's massive, you know. So he goes into old Bill's candy shop, right? Where are the kids at? Right. He's kid- <laughs> this fucking kid. So, I don't know why, but... So there's this kid on the counter, and he's eating something. It looks like some type of float. Or a Sunday. E- or a Sunday he's eating with a spoon slowly. And he's eating it like he's miserable. Like, this is all, like this is only food. Like, he does not look happy eating it. Uh, I-, I don't know what was with that kid, but he looked miserable for, <laughs> you know, eating, <laughs> eating something. He was just up. chilling, bro. Like, no. he was fine. I don't like that kid. No, oh, okay. Fuck that kid. <laughs> so, Michael Jordan. 
All right, so he comes in and Charlie clears his throat. Bill turns around. And he's like, "Hey, I like a bar, bar of chocolate, please." And Bill's like, "Sure, what kind?" He's like, "Oh, Slugworth Slither, Wonka Scrumdoodlyumptious, like whichever's the biggest, right?" And he, because he's given him this money, and because he, he hasn't had whatever candy in a while, so he loves he loves candy, he loves chocolate, right? So he gives him a try a Scrumdoodlyumptious bar, right? Now that all the tickets have been found, I don't have to hide them anymore. And he's like, "Hey, hey take it easy. You might get a stomachache swallowing like that." Now, this Scrumbly Lunches bar does look like a, a bunch of Almond Joys because it kind of looks – it just looks like it might be that type. It's one, of, it's one of the skinnier, longer ones, and he starts scarfing this thing like he hasn't yeah. eaten in weeks. Absolutely. Um, right? And then, and then he gives him the money. He gets some change back. Mm-hmm. And then he's about to walk out of the, of the candy shop, and he turns around and says, I think I'll buy just one more for my Grandpa Joe. Yeah. And then he gives him a regular Wonka, one of the, one of the Hershey, mm-hmm. Hershey bars. And he leaves the candy shop. So now he's looking at his candy bar, and he sees over to his right or left, whatever, um, at Mr. Jopek's uh, newspaper stand. You know, Mr. Jopek, he's our homeboy. And like, oh, the fifth, the fifth ticket guy was a fraud. That means, and these guys commenting on it is just so, I don't want to say it's so basic. But again, like, it, it is a children's movie, right? So they're definitely trying to, you know, establish what's going on so the kids understand it. And like, you know, it's like, hey, oh no. Like, oh, this guy really was a crook. That means the contest goes on forever. Wonder where they'll find the next one, you know? I mean, so if this contest is a thing and somebody fraudulently makes one of the tickets, yeah. Um, there's another ticket that's out there Correct. still. So technically somebody could have found it in the time that we knew that it was a, like a fraudulent ticket and not. So I mean You're right. But the thing is that people would maybe stop buying them as much because it was in Wonka bars. So like, well, ah, so the craze it. went away. The craze went away, which might ex- which might explain what's about to Man, happen. I never thought about that. That's actually a good tactic um, for anybody. Yeah, but we never saw any newscast with that individual with the physical golden ticket. No, then we may not have explained it, but in the newscast, it was the Paraguay guy, the Paraguay anchorman, excuse yes. me, saying like, oh, here's a picture of the most recent one. So they never showed him with the golden ticket. But but that's what I'm saying. We never got the scene with Slugworth. We never got, or, not, well, the, not, not, not Slugworth, Slugworth, but the person who we perceive to be Slugworth, Slugworth or that we will later. With the octagonal glasses. Yes. Um, Interesting. Right. But like, hmm. if I'm if I'm somebody trying to slow this contest down, forging one or faking one or claiming to have won one, especially... In the seventies, right. you know, before video is just running rampant like it is today, um, man, that's a good way to get people to slow down and stop buying. Yeah, the contest is over, and people just go back to their normal, boring, daily lives. Right? It's interesting. Um, I guess with we, nothing, nothing to shoot for except for being a high school guidance counselor. That we have, and we have talked about that. Yes, that is established. That's canon, people. So, all right. Uh, Charlie hears his commotion. He sees that, hey, contest is the guy is a fraud. He now kind of goes back over there, like, a, like away from the crowd. And he's beginning to open up the Wonka bar he just bought for Grandpa Joe. So something to think about there. That maybe he's opened up this candy he bought for Grandpa Joe. So kind of like a lottery ticket. If you buy it for somebody, that's their, that's their prize. Gosh, and the way that he opens this candy bar is just so methodical and slow. I remember watching this as a kid. I'm not kidding. I tried to open up like Nestle's Crunch Bars mm-hmm. and Hershey's Bars like he is opening up this candy bar right now. I wanted to see the silver and like, yeah. I wanted to see it shine. And I would, 
I'm pretty sure I would open up these candy bars hoping to see like a golden ticket myself, even though there's no real contest. That's pretty cool. That's, I, that's I just fun. like that's imagine fun. this. Yeah. I may even do it today. That's, I may even do it later. I have you know, plenty of candy here. So we Perfect. Can, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what we also hear, right, because we do have this on mute, so we're kind of missing some of the uh, music. Uh, but we hear the, the, the trill of like a flute or whatever instrument it is as he's opening up this candy bar. Because he's like, you know, at when, it's yeah. like in rhythm with him opening this thing up. And as you hear that flute playing, you see a, a piece of gold yeah. on the inside. And, and he lights up like we haven't seen him lit up before. Yeah. And he opens up the candy bar and there it is. It's a golden ticket. He is so excited, and you hear this very triumphant music. So you hear the doo doo doo, and then it's this super triumphant music um, that you kind of heard in the beginning, um, very similar in the beginning of um, in the intro. So you hear this big music, very dramatic. It's a dun dun dun, like holding it up, and then like some random woman is like, "Hey, that kid's got it," and, you know, and like he gets pulled over, like not pulled over, he gets pulled into that same scene, that same mob scene, that Mr. Joe Peck's newsstand, and they are, you know, they are like, "Hey, let me see all that stuff," and dude, thank God for Joe Peck because I mean, a mob of adults surround this child who's holding up a golden ticket. Sure, I get it. Yeah. Like it was the world's like goal to be one of the five, you know, ticket holders. But like he's a kid and he's holding this thing up in the air and all of these adult men and women yep. surround him. He can't breathe. He's holding it up in the air and you're just hoping watching this thing like nobody rips it out of his hand and like steals it. Yeah. Right? Cuz he's he's, he's holding up in the air. It's easily obtainable. If I was an adult to rip that away from a kid, it'd be easy. Yeah. It'd be like taking candy from a baby essentially. Yep. Right. And then and Mr. Joe Peck our boy. Our boy. This guy. Saves the day. Who, by the way, is employing people of lesser means. Yes. And. Children of lesser means, children, specifically. You know, which, yep. Maybe and people might see that in a different light that he's taking advantage. It doesn't matter. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but he basically tells everybody to get the heck off Charlie. Yep. And he tells them to run. He goes, run home. Yep. Run home, Charlie, and don't stop till you get there. Don't right? Stop, yeah, so, yeah, don't stop till you get home. And then there's, now again, some classic music here. That we hear when he's like going home, um, and again, but this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, when he's running home, in this does not look like America at all, right? Definitely not America. You, you don't really know where it is. But Joe Peck gets him out of the mob. He's running home, and now he's running through the town. And again, I think it's a pretty charming looking town, wherever it is. It's in his Germany, Mr. Joe Peck, by the way, light British accent. He. I feel like he's it you know, he's definitely not from like Detroit. I mean the guy's got no. the guy's got some some kind of an accent on him. He's like, You're right, Charlie. It is payday. And that's say say hello to your grandpa Joe. Yeah. I don't know what accent that is. Some kind of European maybe. Has to be. Yeah, it's gotta be. He's not American. <laughs> no. <laughs> he does, he doesn't bleed red, white, and blue. <laughs> unless he's from France. And then maybe he does. That is well, actually Well, and then England and, also has red, white, and blue in there. Damn it. Like Guys, this is not a this flat, is not a geography podcast or a flag podcast. No, no. Okay. Anyway, so he's running home, and now this is some more classic music, which you definitely heard like parody before in uh, Family Guy. Um, when you when when you're a kid watching this and you're watching him run home, this is like you feel like you are Charlie. 
Yeah. Like, not only has Charlie won, but you have won, too, as the viewer. Yeah. So this, so this scene's great. He's running home, and all this great, very joyful, jovious music, you know, running past construction workers, and he gets into, like, this tunnel, like this pretty, I want to say scary tunnel. But he's running, and he's running, and then he gets stopped by old boy with octagonal glasses and uh, the scar. And now he's wearing a top hat. And he's like, I congratulate you, little boy. Well and, done. And now it's audible. We can hear what he's saying. We're, yep, absolutely. So this might be, again, so this is the first time we've heard him, right? Um, this is the first time. Here we go. Yep. This is the first time we heard him. So it, it, now he does identify himself as Slugworth. So now we know this character to be Slugworth. We are under the impression that this guy is Slugworth. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, congratulations to you. Well done. You found the fifth golden ticket. May I introduce myself? My name is Arthur Slugworth, president of Slugworth Chocolates, which, by the way, a horrible name for, like, a chocolate company. Slugworth Chocolate? It's definitely, like, again, it's part of the whole design. Like, Willy Wonka sounds like, Wonka Chocolate sounds good. And then you have Slugworth Chocolates. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, awful. It was part of the, like, crazy names of the, of the book. Of the book, right? yeah. You know, it's, story. it's supposed to be fun and funny or whatever. So... You know that joyous music stops, and it's very dramatic music. And uh, well, talk- and the and and the dark tunnel is very like symbolic of he was happy, and now all of a sudden this is some scary scene where this guy comes up to him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, also today, I don't know if you could have a like scary looking man corner some kid in a tunnel. I mean, no. imagery is just not very good there. Definitely not during daylight. Maybe at night though. You can yeah. get, you you could get away with it, right? You know, because anyway, so. He's talking about, um, you found a ticket. Now listen very carefully, because they're going to make you very rich indeed. If Wonka, in the moment, is working on a fantastic invention, the everlasting gobstopper, if he, if he succeeds, he'll ruin me, which, okay. <laughs> so all I want you to do is to get a hold of this one everlasting gobstopper. Bring it to me so I can find the secret formula and your reward will be 10,000 of these which we don't know what currency that is it's not dollars it's whatever amount it is it would be enough to supply him and his family you know food and comfort for the rest of their lives and don't forget everlasting gobstopper he also puts his hands on his shoulders like that was yeah. creepy af bro. and charlie what? is giving him this absolute look of disgust like what the well, and like fear Fear, like he, yeah, and his face is like also disgust. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, ugh. Like, look again, just passing random people. I mean, and like, imagine this too, because I believe that Grandpa Joe and Charlie have already discussed Slugworth and the story of Willy mm-hmm. Wonka, and so to him, Arthur Slugworth is probably, I mean, he's a celebrity in his mind. Yeah, right. And he just pulled him aside in the in some like dark, creepy looking alleyway and. Mm-hmm. You know, said, steal this thing from Willy Wonka, bring it to me, and I'll make you rich. And as soon as he let him go, Charlie sprints back home. Yeah. Almost faster than he, he was when, when he was running, when he first got the ticket in the, in the first place. I guess one thing to note as well is that we saw Slugworth. We said the same guy with octagonal glasses. We saw Slugworth in Veruca Salt's father's factory. Yes. Handing out cases of chocolate. So he knew that's where the chocolate would be, the, t- the ticket would be. He was at, you know, in Dusselheim with Augustus Glute as a waiter. Yep. So already ready to go there, right? And then he was a news reporter with Mike TV. So he again knew kind of, again, that's where it would be. Wasn't with Paraguay, but man, you know, wasn't with, um, am I skipping somebody? No, I said Mike TV. Uh, Violet, 
Wild, Wild, Wild Borgard, yeah. again, but he kind of came out of nowhere on that one. Um, I believe he was also holding a microphone in that one, wasn't he? And no, I think he, I think he pulled. You know, he pulled Violet aside. Yeah, like it was. He was. He kind of came out of the corner. Yeah, wasn't with Paraguay guy, and he wasn't with Charlie during the mob scene. So he kind of knew where everything else was going, but he I guess he did know Charlie's route home. So he stopped him there. Did he? Uh, he must have. We're, so I mean, this is this might be a question for later on in the movie. But did Willy Wonka pick these children out? No. Well, then how would he have known where Charlie's route home was? Like, he didn't know that Charlie was going to buy that, that Wonka bar. He, no. he might have known where it was, where like, stationed, like, where, like, you know, which, like, establishment it was in, or who, who had the case that it was shipped to. But he doesn't yeah. know that Charlie's going to, like, pick this thing up. It could have been, you know, the kid who came into the, like, into the, like, candy store after him. Yeah. And it's just like, I know we're kind of talking about Slugworth, all this stuff. We see Slugworth going on through this movie. And this is definitely some spoilers. As a kid, you're kind of wondering what's going on. But like, as an adult, you're watching this. It's like, well, how does Slug, why is Slugworth everywhere where these tickets are? That's mm-hmm. kind of weird, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he knew, he knew Charlie's route home. He was right there. He, he stopped him. Like, he, didn't, like, he wasn't running after him. He jumped in front of him. Intercepted his route. Exactly. Like, so yeah. he knew I mean, like as a kid, this Slugworth guy is just a creepy looking like man who just shows up in these scenes and he's in the scary scene. Mm-hmm. There's this one and then there's a scene on the boat which we will get to later. Yeah. But as a kid those kinda rattle your brain a little bit. So now sorry, now we're back at the bucket's house. Charlie has run home. He runs into the door and he's he's yelling at the top of his little boy lungs, Look everybody, I've got it. the fifth golden ticket's here. It's mine. Right? And Grandpa Joe is like, you're pulling our legs, Charlie. There aren't any more golden tickets. Right? And then Charlie's like speaking as fast as he possibly can. He's like, no, Grandpa, the last one was fake, and I sold it on the papers, and I saw it in my mind, I bought a walk around, now the ticket's mine. As fast as he possibly can. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's an auctioneer. And Mrs. Buck's like, Charlie. And then they're looking at it, right? And then Grandpa Joe's reading it. He's like, greetings to you. You're the lucky finder of this golden ticket from Mr. Willy Wonka. Present this ticket at the factory gates at 10 o'clock on the first of the uh, on the morning of the first day of October, and do not be late. You may be one. Well, you may bring with you one member of your own family, but no one else. Conveniently on October first. Yes, right, and then, nobody else. In your wildest dreams, you could not have imagined the marvelous uh, surprises that await you. Charlie, you've done it, right? And Grandpa, and he, and Charlie, you know, he's like Grandpa. I wish I could take you. And Grandpa looks like, huh? And now the camera pans out, or it oh, yeah. zooms out. He flips. And Gra- yeah, he, he flips the dirty comforter over. comforter from his dirty all bed. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's just motivated to stand up and get out of bed because... Mm-hmm. And this is what everyone hates on them for, is... Because they're so lazy, but now they get this huge opportunity to go to the chocolate factory. Oh, I can go to the chocolate factory? Well, let's, let's get me out of bed, buddy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> put, my, put my feet on the cold floor. Yep. And then he falls over. He falls over backwards, <laughs> which I remember laughing at, at yeah. this scene as a kid a lot, especially because Charlie tries to pick him up, stands him upright, and then he falls forwards on Charlie. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, easy, Dad. And so I guess... Um, and the grandparents just looking in awe, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I hope he's going to be okay. Grandma Joseph says that Joe watches. So Josephine does have some more lines, you know, but it's not much. And now it goes to Grandpa's Joe saying, look at me. Some instrumental music begins, right? 
look at me. I never thought, like, he said, I, I haven't been done this in 20 years. It's ridiculous. All right. And he breaks out into one of the more classic songs of the movie. It's a good, it, listen. I've got a golden ticket. Great song. You could also look at the song as a metaphor. For what? For, for a lot of other things. A lot of joyous, triumphant things. Like, yeah. he won, you know? I've got a golden ticket. Grandpa didn't win. Charlie won. But damn, you know he, he's singing. He's Grandpa Joe singing. I've got a golden ticket. This whole song, right? <laughs> and by the way, by the way, by the way, the first line of this song is, "I never thought my life could be anything but catastrophe." And suddenly, I begin to see a bit of good luck for me. What an asshole! Can you believe this shit? My oh my gosh. It's just like just just like speaking about this now. I used to think that Grandpa Joe was all right, you know, of the four grandparents. But now here he is singing "I've Got a Golden Ticket." Granted, you know they turn it into kind of a duet, and mm-hmm. like Charlie starts to sing it with him. But like you didn't you didn't find this, no, Grandpa Joe. You like, in fact, your your light of your life, Charlie, bought this for you. It's. And it's just like the whole thing is, oh my God, what, what are some of the other things that he says? It's a really good song, by the yeah. way. And he, he, he's actually a pretty good singer. By the way, Charlie Bucket, yeah, not that great of a singer. No. And he, guess what? He wouldn't sing much more again. And then he's running around the house like, look at me go. Watch my speed. But I remember that was always kind of a, a fun thing. And then he's running around the house. and They do a great job of uh, you know making him look like he's struggling to find his footing and yeah. you know learn to walk again because he hasn't been out of bed in 20 freaking years um, you know he's running around the cane and he's hugging charlie and in his ratty laundry looking clothes like uh, again yeah charlie's mom can't wash your clothes for you uh, unbelievable just, you know pulling clothes out of a hamper um yeah i mean just one more thing about this too uh like i briefly mentioned this because they're about to bring it up here but the 1st of October is the next day. Yes, that's right. That, that, that's what I'm going to say. Good morning. Look at, and then he's running around. Now, so now he goes from running to doing full-on dancing. Like with spinning. Spinning, hopping, you know, I, kicking up his legs. I'm surprised he doesn't do a backflip or like parkour or something. But, yeah, I mean, this guy has been waiting for this moment. Oh, for, he just did a heel kick, guys. Don't worry. He's, he, he did two heel kicks. He did a heel kick. And... Now they're in unison dancing, twirling around. Like they've been practicing? What is this? And again, also he said, in one of the lines he just sang, he said, I never dreamed I would climb over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless, there's, there, it's there that I'm surely about to be. Because he, he has a golden ticket. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mom cuts him off. Yeah. He stop, said, stop, stop. Oh, and then he uh, delivers one of his lines here. Jumping crocodiles, yes. Charlie. Jumping, he, which, which, guys, listen. We might hear again later on in this movie. Who's to say that he might say jumping crocodiles one more time? Um, so he's saying that, right? He's like, you know, don't, you know, we gotta get your hair. He, Grandpa Joe's saying this to Charlie. We gotta comb your hair, brush your teeth. You just got out of bed for the first twenty, for the first time in twenty fucking years, and you're gonna start telling Charlie like how to be hygienic? You kidding me? He's yeah. also this is the middle of the freaking day. He's yeah. already brushed his teeth and combed his hair. He's yeah. like, he's just getting home from school. How about you brush your teeth? How about you comb your hair? Mm-hmm. Wash your face, Grandpa Joe. So Gosh. Then, so then, you know, he's talking all this stuff, and then Charlie, in a very serious tone, um, says, like, on the way, Grandpa, 
on the way home today, I ran to Slugworth. And that is the end of that scene, right? And like, and Grandpa Joe like looks at him in a very serious tone. Yeah, we don't get to see any like discussion after that after the comment. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the end of that scene, and that also might be the end of this episode. So, no. So no. For those tracking, we have we made another twenty minutes into this movie. Hey, I think we're doing pretty well here. Yeah. We're so. This has been much of a watch along, right? Mm-hmm. Are these first couple episodes? Um, we we are going to finish this movie do, uh, doing watch along format like we are now, but it is going to get very specific. If you have a favorite character, if you have uh, a favorite scene or a favorite song, we intend to get very analytical with this, um, as we have been in a very light manner here. You also mentioned we're not experts. Nope. We're enthusiasts. Yes. Um, however, I feel like we are going to become experts here as we as we go down this journey of this podcast. And that, I think that's a fun thing for us to become. Um, some might argue we should have been experts before we started, but you know we're all growing together. We're all ah, life's about the journey. You know, <laughs> right now we can just claim to be enthusiasts. We're like Jack Ryan. I'm just an analyst. You know. Have you? Did you finish Jack Ryan yet? Well, season four just came out. Um, the final season. My wife and I, we didn't, we didn't finish the most recent season. When, when he got out of Afghanistan or whatever, or, no, now they had, to, they had to go back to Russia. Well, season three was in Russia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then they had to go back to Russia. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I think we stopped there. So maybe like the last, we didn't even finish the last two episodes. We were, yeah. we were done with it. You know, that show's uh, low-key pretty funny. Like, it's got some good comedy in it. That first, it, se- first season, pff, forget about it. It was great. Yeah. Season two was a little, eh. Yeah, and then I, I've gotten to the point in my life where I'm just like, if I don't like something, I'm just gonna stop watching it. Yeah, you don't have to finish because you don't you started. have to finish it. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point. I used to be that way. I'm that way still with Law and Order SVU, but mm. and believe me, it's awful. Um, <laughs> so you're not gonna stop. You're gonna keep watching. I'm gonna keep watching. So Why? So. Just stop. I've been watching it for how old am I? I've been watching it for I think over 20 years now. Easily, easily over 20 years. I've but been how long has it been awful? Uh, when Kragen left as the captain of the squad, chief of the squad, it was pretty bad. After, no, he's the captain. Guys, this is not a Jack Ryan Law and Order SVU uh, podcast. No, it's not. But this is a pretty good point here about starting things, and then if there's a lull in the entertainment factor of mm-hmm. it, do you continue or do you not? Sometimes I think it's worth it to push through, but you don't know until you get to the end. When it comes to this podcast, you should absolutely continue. You might get to a point where you're like, what are they talking about? Just keep just keep listening, guys. Yeah, if you're in your car and you're like, okay, these guys are dragging on. They're not really getting to the point. It's not very funny anymore. You know? Yeah, and these guys just said this is the end, and they're still talking about this shit. You just got to keep going. Just push. <laughs> just push through. All right. We have some great jokes lined up that you guys, I'm telling you, you're going to like. So, all right. Um, were you say something important? <laughs> well, I think we were just going to, you know, say... Hope that you guys come back for the next episode. Well, I thought we were making up. It doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, so no, we wrapped up everything. Yeah, we did. Okay. All right. So now we ended with Charlie uh, finding the ticket, all that stuff. It's so, re- it's it's really about to get good after this. Right. Everything that we have talked about has been leading up to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We are actually now forty some minutes into the film. Right. About to get to the Chocolate Factory. So. Definitely don't stop listening now. Stay yeah. tuned because the good stuff is just right around the corner. So we got a 
you know, just looking at the movie, we got another 57 minutes left. So that's including what one could presume as credits. So we're looking at probably another few episodes, um, but there's a lot to talk about because we are now at the Wonka factory gates. So that's where we'll begin the next episode. All right. So thank you everyone for tuning in and be sure to listen next time. Bye. Bye.